Are you sick and tired of ads? Well, this is an ad telling you that you don't need to listen to ads. Stitcher Premium has some of your favorite shows ad-free, like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murder, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and the Marvel Original, Wolverine the Long Night. It also includes early access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Go to stitcherpremium.com and upgrade your account for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Plus, sign up and use our offer code, CAPED, at checkout and get your first month for free. That's CAPED, C-A-P-E-D, for your first month free. Stitcher Premium. It's like Stitcher, but premium. This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the forge to potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters this is the show that's been dead the whole time <laughs> a twist a twist Ooh. it seemed appropriate it's very appropriate we've been dead the whole time either who knew it explains a lot actually it really really does it's how we communicate with roger ebert so well I don't want to talk about that because we're about to go down a really dark rabbit hole at the end of this episode. We sure are. This week, we are talking about Unbreakable from 2000, directed by the M. Night Shyamalan. Have you ever seen this thing before? No, this is the first time I've ever seen it. I need those thoughts. So here's the thing about M. Night. Everybody knows he's a very twisty man. He's a twisty boy. He's very twisty. He likes he's his twists. He's a contortionist twist. of filmmaking. And yes. I knew that going into this movie. And I still sat there with my mouth wide open for the last five minutes of the movie. I am completely in the same boat, and I've seen this movie before. And I knew how it ended, and I was like, how the hell did we get there? How does it even get to that point, and I could not remember how? Unreal. Unreal. Speaking of twists. Yes. Knowing that there's a twist coming, sometimes doesn't matter. So I'm going to tell you right now, at some point during this episode, I'm going to throw a twist your way when you least suspect it. An M. Night Shyamalan twist? A twist. I'm so excited. Yeah. Stay tuned for this that. Is the best, best day of my life. You can feel these M. Night nipples right now. It's <laughs> so hard waiting for a twist. <laughs> so you liked it. I loved it. I, I can't believe it took me this long to see it. Yeah. This one's a, a big favorite of mine. I've been wanting to talk about this one for a long time. I know Brooks Arnold, listener, he said, this is one of the best superhero films ever made. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is on another level. And I yeah. didn't know how tied into superheroes it was i always thought that this was an outlier on our list that it was only tangentially related but no it fits this might be the most superhero some could argue in a lot of different ways because this is one of those movies that deconstructs pretty much the entirety of what our show talks about yeah well we'll get there when we do our super stuff later yeah we will Uh, i can't wait you want to get into this thing let's get into it yeah fantastic In West Philadelphia, 1961. I should have seen that coming. (laughs) Not the twist. Uh, Born in a department store changing room, I assume so there's a mirror to use for neat camera stuff, is Elijah (laughs) Price. Elijah is born with broken arms and legs. Not wrong. He's all crying and the mommy's like, he's supposed to be crying like that. And man, I've had two babies and yeah, they do that. (laughs) Yep. Well, maybe you also had broken babies. I got broken babies. (laughs) I got the glass kids. So we cut to present day. Just, you know, here's a broken baby. Let's let's open this movie up. <laughs> That's how most movies should start is Bob had a broken baby eats it. <laughs> so present day, we have David Dunn, who is portrayed by Bruce Willis. 
Bruce Willis, he's here. Bruce Willis, he's back. His first appearance on the main show. We did talk about him on the on the Patreon. He had all five elements working in that Patreon episode. Yeah. It took him a while to get that, that fifth one, but he figured it yeah, out. Yeah, and then it took a weapon that is just selfish, really, to solve that whole problem. But yeah. that's not the point. We're not doing that right now. Nope. <laughs> He's on his way back from a job interview in New York on the train. He removes his wedding ring and hits on a lady that sits next to him, telling her he doesn't like football. You know, normal stuff. It's strange because it's like a, an anti-Dennis Leary. His speech is pretty much like, I don't like football. I don't like porn. I don't like, <laughs> I don't books, like books about, about war. war. <laughs> the whole thing is done with like a, um, it's a POV shot from this little girl in the seat in front of them. And it's infuriating, actually. It is. Um, we're going to get there because this is an interesting little thing that Mr. Knight Shyamalan does. Yes. I assume the M is for Mr. Not anything Indian. Mr. Or... Knight Sh- <laughs> I like it. The train malfunctions and derails, killing everybody on board except David. Yep. He doesn't have a scratch on him, according to Dr. Michael Kelly, who has once again shown up out of nowhere. Yeah, couldn't believe it either. I was like, In this ridiculous really? long take of Michael Kelly saying, I got a couple questions for you. How? Mostly. While somebody dies in the foreground. Yeah, it's extremely impressive, actually. That shot. It's a very cool shot. All the shots in this movie go on a little longer than you expect them to. Uh, they go on for forever. I'm convinced some of them are still going on yeah, today. Yeah, and by a little longer, I later. mean like a lot longer. <laughs> right. And we're going to get there, too. Back at home, David tells his wife, Audrey, Robin Wright, also from House of Cards with Michael Kelly. Was she a Robin Wright pen then? or was just She a was a Wright? Robin Wright pen then. Okay. I feel like you got to check in with some of these like early <laughs> not actresses. You have to like, check in. Oh, you, what season of Friends are you on? Is she a, is she a <laughs> Courtney Cox Arquette? Or just a Courtney Cox. Right. Is this a Romaine Stamos or just a Romaine? Exactly. Yeah. But even in the Friends episode, everyone had our uh, Arquette at the end of their name. That one episode is a, is a gag because, you know. Of course. We're friends. We're funny. The one with the last name. That was. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to I should have warned you. you. I wanted to talk about Friends because <laughs> I didn't tell you it was going to be this way. No one ever told me it was going to be this way. I'm not clapping. I'm not doing it. That's fine. It'll end up just messing up your edit. So he tells Audrey that he doesn't think he got the job, but he's still moving to New York. These two have problems. Yeah, and it's a cool little character development piece because Bruce Willis took his ring off on the train. You go, man, you're a scumbag. Right. You're a scumbag. You're just going to hand this girl. She wants something to do with it. And then it turns out, like, are you, though? Like, he clearly got marital issues back home, and you're living in separate bedrooms at this point. Yeah. So it's you're clearly on your way to Splitsville. Yeah, uh, that was the next stop on the train if it hadn't derailed. It would have been Splitsville. That's yeah. right. So Now boarding New York to Splitsville. <laughs> Thank you for driving on the Lonely Hots Express. <laughs> Naturally, there's a memorial service for all these train crash victims. And afterward, David finds a note on the windshield of his car from a store named Limited Edition. And the note asks, how many days of your life have you been sick? Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Right. I imagine that's what Samuel L. Jackson puts at the bottom of everything he's ever written. Every single note. Yes. If it doesn't say it, it's not from Sam. It's not. It's a forgery at that point. David asks his boss and his wife, but no one can seem to remember a time when he was sick. That is a really, really interesting plot point. Isn't it? They formed an entire movie around that idea. Huh. This guy doesn't know if he's ever been sick. Yeah. I feel like if you've never been sick, you probably know. You know that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if I ask you right now, when was the last time you were sick? Uh, January, mid-January. It was when we recorded the Joker episode. Oh, you sounded like crap. <laughs> you had to go to your office to record it and just nothing worked? Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. It was so much fun. It was, uh, it was a good time, <laughs> I think. It's a great time. <laughs> great time was had by all. I mean, I'm, I'm healthy as hell right now just because I haven't been anywhere. Exactly. It's just been No germs can get here. to me when you don't leave. It's very true. Yeah, it's like, oh man, you you sound terrible. Yeah, allergies. That's really the only believable thing. I sound just as terrible as I always do. Yep. Hey Dave, you ready for a flashback? I am. Let's do a flashback. A young Elijah sits at home upset with a broken arm. The kids at school call him Mr. Glass because he breaks like glass. Yeah, nothing else breaks in the world. Nope, just glass. His mom, wanting to get him out of the house and not be afraid of the world, leaves him a gift across the street in a busy park in West Philadelphia. (laughs) In a bright bit of purple wrapping paper that you're probably not going to see. Well, it actually turns out that Sam Jackson went to George Lucas and asked if the present could be purple. (laughs) He sure loves purple. He really loves purple, but it works because even the swaddle when the Bob, we had a baby, it's a broken boy, is born. (laughs) It was this purple swaddle. Yeah. Like, that is a neat little move. It's a motif that carries on throughout the entire movie. How about that? That's the fancy word for it. I like that. Motif. Sometimes I have <laughs> vocabulary words. Speak normal, Brian. We ain't scientists. <laughs> Go listen to our Patreon episode of Walk Hard. That came out last week. It's a doozy. Elijah crosses the street and opens the gift. It's a limited edition active comics, The Battle Whoa. with Jaguaro. Right. Hold on. I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Gift or gift? <laughs> I believe it's pronounced gift. I think the creator of presents was like, it's pronounced gift. So Santa came down and he said, it's gift, I guys. brought these gifts for you this. all. <laughs> uh, that's what happens when you take the Christ out of Christmas, is you get gifts. <laughs> gifts for miss. <laughs> and you have Hanukkah Harry over there looking over saying, I, I told you guys, it's been gift the whole time. That's uh, actually Harry. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies to the whole Hanukkah Harry family. Elijah's mom tells him that the comic book has a surprise ending. Uh, oh boy, that desk should be destroyed after doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that got me the most was that she says, I got a whole bunch of them. So yeah, anytime down, you want to like, go outside, I'll give you another comic book. That seems so counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have bones like glass, I guess. I guess. I I mean, comic book folk, they're notorious for going outside. (laughs) (laughs) Worst analogy ever. Back in the present, Elijah, now a full-grown Samuel L. Jackson, operates a comic book art gallery called Limited Edition, like from the letter on the windshield. He refuses to sell the original cover artwork for the same comic that we just saw to a man buying it for his child. Because it's not a toy store. It's an art gallery. Do you see any Teletubbies here? <laughs> Motherfucker. What a line. I love it. you see any Teletubbies here? <laughs> so David and his son Joseph go to Limited Edition where they meet Elijah. His son Joseph portrayed by Spencer Treat Clark. Famous actor, Spencer Treat Clark. He was a famous child actor, and I think it's mostly because his middle name was Treat, and that's just bananas. Isn't that a treat? No, because, um, you know, some actresses have like a resting bitch face or you get like Jason Statham who's got like a resting hard face. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer Treat Clark's got a resting derp face. (laughs) He does. He's got, he's got resting derp face pretty bad. 
Joseph tells Elijah about his father's accident in college when Elijah's like, have you ever been hurt? So that's a thing that we'll have to remember is happening. There's a there's an yep. accident. There sure is. There's not a lot happening. It's a very well-structured story so far. Yeah, everything they introduce, eventually, they uh, they revisit. Interesting how you can do that Weird. sometimes. Sometimes good storytelling and good screenwriting will do that. Who knew? Elijah explains his theory to David that comic books are an exaggeration of old stories of real extraordinary people. Elijah spent years researching every disaster to find, quote, a sole survivor, miraculously unharmed. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. Because, yeah, you have a guy who's obsessed with comic books, and he's trying to pull them into real life. So clearly something's not right with this guy. Yeah, he's... he's uh, Mentally. He seems like a crazy person. He explains... He does. ...to David that he has osteogenesis imperfecta, so he's born with brittle bones, he's very easily hurt. That is a Harry Potter spell if I've ever heard one. <laughs> it's actually a real disease. I did not know. I bet it is, and I feel bad for the Harry Potter joke, but it had to be said. <laughs> it does. Osteogenesis imperfecta. Oh, my bones. Ah, my bones. <laughs> They're all brittle now. He's always suspected that there must be someone at the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And after years of searching, he's finally found David. Right. He's a very broken man, and he's trying to find the unbreakable man. Oh, wake. Yeah. Did you just hot tub time machine this up? A little bit. Good job. A little bit. Uh, David suspects that Elijah just wants money for some kind of scam, and he leaves. What kind of scam would it possibly be? I don't know. Uh, you know, the one where... Uh... <laughs> He's like, oh, then you're, you're going to ask for my credit card. It's like, what are you, for what? You know, um, money. What? This isn't late office, like there's season nine of Dwight going to X-Men Academy or whatever it is. <laughs> that he got ripped off. It's not what this is. Like clearly, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I yeah. don't know how this could possibly be a scam. I don't really quite get it either. But, you know, Bruce Willis has got a sense for these things. One might say a sixth uh, one. Some would say. <laughs> Oh, that was too easy for you. Yeah. I don't feel good about that one. <laughs> Back at home, David hangs out in a closet and files away the newspaper article about his survival with a bunch of clippings about him being a great football player and an article about his accident. Turns out, dude played football the whole time. That's the twist. That's not That's my it. twist. It's the twi That's the end of the movie. That's the twist of the movie. He was a kicker. He was a not even a, a real star. But the kickers also score the most points. We learned that. Morton Anderson, leading NFL point score in history i think he was uh he's a great don't quote me on that <laughs> he's a great football player and he lied to the lady on the train who's dead anyway so also he has a gun yeah you know he's got a gun for sure his wife comes to talk to him never questioning why he's just hanging out in the closet and she tells him that she wants to start yeah, over some would think that this is like an r kelly tom cruise south park right. situation maybe or just an r kelly but, situation in general yeah it still could be just trapped in the closet yeah and he's gonna piss on you Drip, 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 pee on you, piss on you. Uh, terrible person. <laughs> Not great. He's a bad man, in fact, the R. Kelly. Yeah. So his wife tells him that she wants to start over and work on their marriage because, you know, he survived this train wreck and it seems like a second chance. I, I guess. Now that all the divorced people in the tri-state area are dead because the Lonely Hearts Express derailed. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I feel bad for you because now you don't have any divorced friends. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Sorry. It's definitely not what happened in this movie. Go back to doing mind. whatever you were doing in the closet. <laughs> right. It, it, I don't want you to go to your unnamed job in New York. Right. That's probably infinitely better than being a college football security guard, but we don't need to go there. Actually, let's go there. 
let's go there right now. Working security at the stadium, David gets a call <laughs> that there's someone there trying to sneak in, and he's asking for David. Of course, it's Elijah, because there's only six people in this movie. Correct. And he starts explaining more of his comic book theories to David. Meanwhile, David bumps into a guy in line, and he tells the security at the end of the line to start frisking people. David then tells Elijah that when he bumped into him, he had an image of a silver handgun with a black grip tucked in his pants. As you do, Plexigo Burris style. Yeah. David and Elijah watch as the guy David bumped into sees everyone being frisked and leaves the line. David called it. He said, hey, man, he's going to leave the line if he's got something on him. Simple as that. Boom. uh, Guy goes out. Elijah's going, that's incredible. Motherfucker. I had questions about this guy, but now I feel like this is him. This is the one. This has got to be the one. This is Neo. able to get people out of the line. But it's kind of fun because, yeah, we're starting to think as the audience, like, all right, maybe he does have something here. Or he's just really good at security. Or he's, he's just like a really good forever. security guard. He had a, You know, he's doing his job really well. Yeah. So David goes back to work, and Elijah follows the guy that David bumped into. While chasing him, Elijah falls down a flight of stairs, which is like the worst thing that could happen to somebody with glass bones. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because he is chasing him. And, I mean, Elijah walks with a cane mm-hmm. and a limp because he's a, he's a brittle boy. Right. And this guy's walking on normally, and he goes down to the subway, and somehow Elijah's still able to, like, catch up to him. Right. <laughs> All the time. It doesn't make any sense. Well, he took a shortcut when he's going down these... jumping down the stairs. Right. But when Elijah's going down these stairs, you see how poorly he's going down these stairs. Yeah. yeah. That can't be a brittle bones thing. That's just a balance thing. Maybe it's, it has to do with the limp. I don't know. I don't know, man. He is not doing well. He's basically he looks just like sliding. there's like a banana peel on every single step. Yep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, man. It's the next one. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> It's insane. So he falls down the stairs, shatters his leg, and breaks several other bones. But the last thing he sees is the man's handgun, just as David described it. I like how this did not feel forced because the guy is clearly a shitbag. The guy right. who had the handgun and he jumps over the turnstile. As you do and when you you're see a it flash. And, it, and it's kind of like, oh, you just somehow made that moment make sense. And I appreciate that. It felt Thank organic. You, how about that? Kudos to Mr. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Back at home, David is working out in the basement, and his son, Sad Derp. <laughs> that sounds like a SpongeBob character for some reason. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Sad Derp. He believes everything that Elijah is saying about David being a hero with special gifts, but David still doesn't believe it. Oh, even before this, even before the weight thing, his son is outside playing football, and David says, your, your mom's going to be pissed if she's playing football. Yeah, she there. hates and football. She hates football. Do you think that's the problem with their marriage? I may be. It feels like the jerk, like, random ass son of a bitch. He really hates those cans. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. But then Spencer Treat Derp over here, like, waves to his buddies as as David Dunn says he's going to go work out. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to go work out with my dad. And within a second, they call Hike. It's like, they do not care about this kid at all. We didn't want to play with your dad anyway, you weirdo. (laughs) Oh, good. We got rid of the Derp kid. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay, let's go have fun now. <laughs> so Bruce Willis asks Derp to take some weight off of the uh, the barbell because because it's too much, man. It's too right. much. Uh, right. But before Spencer Treat Derp puts the weights on, he puts a silencer on everything. <laughs> right. Because, oh, God, go on. This is about to annoy me. This yeah, is the part so of the way that bothers Instead me. of taking weight off, he adds weight. Bruce Willis lifts it no problem. He like doesn't even notice boy. it's a difference. And he's like, oh, wow, yeah. that's, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you add weight? And the kid's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. 
Yeah, I did. I added the weight. How do you not hear somebody adding weight? I imagine, I mean, it probably doesn't sound too different from taking weight off. It's just a lot of clanking. Me and you, we're not known for going to the gym area. We're not known for that. (laughs) Maybe you are. Maybe not you. I I don't (laughs) do that. I got a rowing machine in my basement and I creepily use it sometimes. (laughs) I'm rowing while listening (laughs) to podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty much it. There's nothing better than rowing while I listen to, to Sean and Mitch on Nerdy Thursday and, and use my strokes to them. Oh, boy. Strokes this is it taking to a Nerdy turn. Thursday. That's it. That's what rowers do, That's... I'm assuming. <laughs> they have a good cadence. Spencer Treat Derp. What, what's he doing here? I don't know. Uh, he pulls a fast one on his dad. It's like, ah, Bruce Willis doesn't know the difference between uh, taking weights off and putting weights on. You know, this is actually a pretty cool scene. I shouldn't diss this scene. It's actually a pretty cool scene. <laughs> but then he's like, "Should I add more?" And Bruce Willis is like, "Yeah, yeah, keep going." Hard yes, yippee ki yay. Until he hits like three hundred fifty pounds, and it's like that's all the weight. And he's like, "All right, let's add some paint buckets." Right. He's, and they do. He's and stronger really than he it. thought he was, and that's uh, that's where he's like, "Hmm." Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, you have a guy who looks like Bruce Willis, who's in very good shape in this movie, right? But he's not in three hundred fifty pound bench press shape no, it's just not. no but i do like the way that they shot this thing because bruce willis is very much lifting something very heavy yes because he's got the the head vein that's going he turns bright red while he's lifting he's very much acting he's either acting or actually lifting weight <laughs> exactly he's doing a good job i like it elijah needs to get his leg rehabbed because you know he fell obviously his nurse is going to be audrey uh bruce willis right, wife because it's a small world. It's the of tiniest course. of cities, Philadelphia, even smaller than the small apple. It is. Uh, Rocketeer was a Walt Disney Pictures film. That's true. Was it or was it Touchstone? It was Walt Disney. Either way. This is Touchstone. Disney owned. This is Touchstone, thing. which yeah. is still Disney. This right. is so Disney's M. Night Shyamalan's. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah asks her questions about her and David, and she explains to him how they were going out. David was a star football player, but they got in a car accident, and then he never played football again. And because of that, they ended up getting married. Had he continued to play, maybe they would have grown apart, you know? Maybe. I mean, that the football thing I don't care about in this movie at all. Yeah. It's just well, a, a thing. At first, the, the scene came up and I was like, what are the odds? This is pissing me off. And then I was like, <laughs> well, actually, this dude is definitely obsessed right now. He probably sought her out specifically. Oh, without a doubt he did. So, without less, a doubt. Less small world, more weird dude. Very fair. David gets a call from his son's school that his son has been hurt. His son had hoped that he had some of his dad's superpowers, and uh, he tried to stand up for a kid that was getting picked on, but instead became the target of the bullying because, well, look at his face. Well, he didn't go to Sky High. <laughs> it's pretty much what it is. Sky High had bullied Sky High stuff. kid. Yeah, but he had to wait for his powers to come in until it was convenient for the plot. That's... But here, uh, I don't know if they're coming in. Don't I don't know. Little Joey Derp. The school nurse remembers David from when he was at the same school. In fact, it was because of David that they have all these rules about the pool. Turns right, he out. He was running around the pool. Don't run around the pool. No running. That's just a rule. That's not even a rule because of David Dunn, Bruce Willis. That's just a rule. Right. Don't run around the pool. Right. I don't think it was a running thing, though. He was being picked on by, by some bullies at the pool, and then he fell in. I imagine these bullies were called lifeguards. He probably and ran. He was running, and that's the problem. And then, whoops. <laughs> I don't think it's lifeguards because I feel like lifeguards would have tried to it's save him. It's definitely not him. lifeguards. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> he was just left in the pool to drown, and then he was found 
like five minutes later, and it somehow survived. Oh, yeah, because uh, Unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a uh, fascinating transition. <laughs> so they go home, and naturally, Joseph pulls a gun on his dad to prove that he actually has superpowers. This is tense, to put it real lightly. Very tense scene. Yeah. Oh, God, you have the whole family that's in the kitchen right now. Mr. Night Shyamalan is extremely good with kitchen scenes with Bruce Willis because he's he did it really well in Sixth Sense, too. Yeah. With a non-derp kid. Right. So it was great. But yeah, you have Spencer Treat Derp, who's got the gun pointing at Bruce Willis, and they're trying to talk him down. Yeah. And it just kind of escalates even farther because he ends up cocking the gun at a point. You've got, holy shit, this escalated even farther. This kid's going to shoot Bruce Willis. It's ridiculous. And we're going to talk about this scene later in a little bit more detail, because I want to save this one. This scene makes a lot more sense than meets the eye. It's the Transformers of the movie. And we'll get there. <laughs> How many times I got to tell you, Optimus Prime cannot be in the fortress with us. Go home, Optimus. David goes and tells Elijah about how he nearly drowned as a kid. He's like, see, I'm not invincible. See, I do get sick. Motherfucker, that's not getting sick. That's you falling into a pool because you were running. He still wasn't running. I just, I want to think he was. I'm sure he was running. <laughs> then Elijah goes and does a weird thing where he just stares blankly at some comic books. And the store clerk is like, dude, you got to get out of here. And he starts wheeling him out. And then he's just like an the asshole. The worst actor in this movie is the store clerk. This guy <laughs> I sucks. I hope you're not actor. jerking off back there. I got to get some chicken in me. You know what I mean? Those are things that people say. <laughs> this is all natural, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did I get that line right? Good. All right. And then eventually he knocks over some comics and he decides to buy the one that lands in his lap. And that's, you know. This scene happens for whatever reason. I don't know. I really don't get it. It's there. Well, he's getting wheeled out of this place and he decides to do a quick cut. Cutting on a dime. Like if Barry Sanders were in a wheelchair, I guess. I guess yeah. Football related. <laughs> and he knocks over a bunch of comics. And the, the comic book guy's like, God, come on, man. Come on, dude. Come on. And he does it again. And he does it again. He's like, if you do it one more time, then sure enough, he does it, because of course he will. I love the comic book guy's like, if you if you turn your wheelchair one more time, I'm calling <laughs> the cops. <laughs> but then he goes and calls the cops, and then Elijah's like, I'll take this one. Yeah, can I buy this one? And suddenly, charges are dropped. He bought a $4.99 comic. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to have to stay an extra half hour to cleaning clean all up. this crap up. I'm not going to get my chicken in me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, this guy sucks. David and Audrey go out on a date. They have weird favorite colors, like rust and brown. Checks out, right? Yeah, sure. Like, my favorite color is uh, puke green. <laughs> rust and brown. These are boring people. It's a lot like saying, like, oh, what's your favorite color? Uh, it's not so much like grass green, but like dandelion. Like a weed? Like, it's like real specific. three days already been blown away, all of the little fun. It's just... The stem. That's my color. Right. It's like, you know, whenever it snows and it's that color white, my favorite color is the next day. <laughs> After it's, it's just a little dirty. Driven over a lot and just like that <laughs> weird brown gray slush. Yeah. That's my oh, this color. This is so romantic. Robin Wright, Arquette. <laughs> so Bruce Willis explains to her that he felt their marriage was over when he stopped waking her up after he had bad dreams. Of course. Yep. Uh, I guess. Uh, when they get home, there's two messages on the answering machine for David because it's 2000. He gets the job in New York. The other message is Elijah telling him that every superhero has a weakness. David's kryptonite is water. There you go. 
he, he's still he's still on the you're a superhero train. <laughs> he sure is. He's very much obsessing over it. Oh, yeah. David breaks into the train station to see the train for reasons. And uh, he remembers his car crash from years before when he was in college. And he remembers that he wasn't hurt at all. In fact, he used his superhuman strength to rescue Audrey from the flaming vehicle. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if this was like a thing that he kept in the back of his brain. Like, uh, oh, we, I'm going to put this in my subconscious because it was a terrible memory, even though it's kind of his meat cute with his wife when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. This, and he's like, maybe I just won't play football anymore. Right. It's He's not concussed because he's unbreakable. So I just don't understand how he forgot about this. Well, this is a guy who forgets that he's never been sick in his whole life. So. All uh, right. Fair. <laughs> Remember when Very I didn't fair. have that cold ever? <laughs> What's the stuff leaking out of your nose? Why do you keep making that a chew sound? <laughs> so David calls Elijah and tells him he's right. He's never been sick or injured in any way. Elijah tells him to go where the people are and protect them. It's a rainy day, and David, wearing a hooded rain poncho, heads to 30th Street Station, where he just stands in the middle of the place. People bump into him, because that's what you're going to do if some asshole's standing in the middle of this crowded train station. It's a very cool scene. It's very neat. shot. Hundreds of people are passing by, but whenever someone bumps into David, he has a vision of them doing something bad. Not even that. Not even just the people who bump into him. is the people who are wearing clothing of color. Right. People who are wearing brightly colored clothing. And I think the most interesting part about it is, yeah, the people who bump into him with the colored clothing, you see the flashback, all that stuff. But then you also see brightly colored clothing kind of smattered about as well. Mm -hmm. And to me, that makes it more of a a full world of you understand as the audience like, yeah, there's a lot of bad out there. That's uh, it's it's his Bruce Willis sense. It's yeah, it's his seventh sense. His seventh sense. His sixth sense is that he's been dead the whole time. The whole time. Couldn't believe it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Gonna spoil a movie from 1999. <laughs> There's a jewel thief, a racist, a salter, and a, a rapist. But when the maintenance man bumps into him, David sees something. Sounds like it sounds like the village people, but like a worse version. Oh, don't even say like the a lot village. worse version. Don't say the words the village, hey, Mr. Night Shyamalan. Ugh, that's the movie that made me stop <laughs> watching his movies. All right, it had to be one of them. That was the one. So David sees the maintenance man going to someone's home and killing the homeowner, and he's like, "All right, this is the guy I gotta." I got to follow. Right. So he does. When the maintenance guy leaves work, David follows him. He goes to this really nice house in a nice neighborhood. David sneaks in the back and finds the dead homeowner inside. He does. And I think the weirder part about this is earlier in the movie when he's at the football stadium place and he goes up to Mr. Night Shyamalan himself in a cameo and he has a vision of him getting drugs out of the the bathroom, I guess it is. Yeah. Because Mr. Night Shyamalan always puts himself in every one of his movies. Right. And when he went to search Mr. Night Shyamalan, like patting him down and everything like that, didn't have anything on him. And Mr. Night Shyamalan says, hey, good luck on your search. So did he see into the future at that point? Or is he just bad oh. at touching guys? <laughs> because here, he clearly sees into the past of what this guy had previously done. Yeah. And it's kill the homeowner. Maybe. So uh, it's my disconnect there in the story, at least. Maybe I just, Mr. Night. I can't understand. Maybe Mr. Night Shyamalan had already sold the drugs. So you're saying we're like two levels removed then. Yeah. Like, he got the drugs, okay. he sold them, and then Bruce Willis is like, mm, you got drugs on you, but he was already too late. Oh, it's possible. If that's the case, then Mr. Night Shyamalan is a very, very good drug salesman because he's able to turn around that profit while he's in four quarters of a football game. Super cool. That's actually impressive. Yeah. So, very good director, very good screenwriter, and very good drug dealer, Yeah, Mr. Night Shyamalan. He, he, the trifecta. Some would say. So, Bruce Willis heads upstairs, and he rescues the two kids who are tied up in the bathroom. And then in another room, he finds their mother tied up. 
Very, very R. Kelly situation. Yeah. yeah, there's just, except he's not in the closet anymore. So the window's exactly. open and Bruce Willis looks out. And when he turns back around, the maintenance worker is right there and he pushes him out the window. And naturally, why does he go to this window? Why does he overlook this pool? I don't know. Maybe he's just. This is the part that doesn't make any sense. He's thinking about pools and like, oh, that's my weakness. Better stay away from there. Whoops. <laughs> Maintenance guy pushes him on top of the covered pool. And then, of course, the weight makes him fall into the cover and he's all wrapped up and drowning. But luckily, the kids he rescued, they have a, a pool skimmer and they, they help him with the pole. Right. Um, pool covers are terrifying. Yeah. Like really terrifying. Yeah. Like when you watch Bruce Willis fall into this pool cover and it wraps around him you go oh god that is like a nightmare and like everything slowly slides in and he's just like staring at his fate like oh god it's a gorgeous shot so good and it's followed up by a not gorgeous shot of these kids pulling him out yeah with the pool skimmer and the kids who are just rescued from being kidnapped and they're just standing there they're like all right that's it what do i do with my hands (laughs) i don't know what to do with my hands they high five and they say that's right sis you got to shake it before you bake it So Bruce Willis heads back oh, upstairs man. and wrestles with the maintenance guy, eventually killing him by breaking his neck. In a one shot. Yeah. It was, it oh, my God. Extremely good. He just wraps this guy up from behind and holds on tight. And it, pretty much all it is is just a chokehold and broken drywall. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I feel like he'd be a good uh, bull rider. Uh, this scene lasted a whole lot longer than eight seconds. That's very true. Yeah. Back at home, David hangs up his cape. I mean, uh, poncho, rain coat. It's a raincoat. And he sure. uh, he carries his sleeping wife upstairs to their bed. She wakes up and asks him what's wrong. He said, I had a bad dream. In another cool shot. He carries up the stairs and it's like a steady cam shot of just her face her going face. up. Her face, yeah. And, and her reactions and her emotions changing, trying to figure out what's going on here. What and it's a really it's, cool shot. It's very neat. And it lasts for Like they, they filmed the entire staircase. Yeah, all 13 <laughs> steps. It's, it's a long one, for sure. The next morning, well... Audrey's making breakfast. David slides the newspaper over to Joseph Treat Derp Clark, and uh, there's an artist rendition of a superhero-like figure in a raincoat with a headline that says, <laughs> Mystery Hero Saves Two Kids. And Joseph looks up at his dad. He's like, whoa. His dad's like, yeah, yeah, it was me. Shh, don't tell him. Shh, you, shh, shh, be like the kids that R. Kelly peed on. Just stay quiet. Just don't tell mom. Be quiet. Don't tell mom. So David goes to Elijah's gallery because it turns out he's been right this whole damn time. And, you know, oh, we got to go talk to this right. guy. Elijah's having this big exhibition that's been kind of hinted at throughout this entire yeah, movie. Yeah, huge art show. And and he goes with David to his back office so they can discuss what happened. He's proud of David. He says, shake my hand. But when they make contact, Bruce Willis sees, sees the bad stuff. Yeah, uh, Elijah was the one who killed all these people in all these accidents. Yep, he's the one who set the building on fire. He's he's the one who caused the plane to crash somehow. Uh, How how does a person cause a plane crash? Ooh, well, uh, (sighs) 9-11. Let's ask them, Brian. But but he wasn't on the plane. (laughs) He didn't even get off the ground. He was still on the tarmac, in fact. Yeah, Um, and then- So let's go ask the shoe bomber from Ireland. Is that what that one was? Don't ask me about, like, actual things that happen in the world. Brian's holding up a sign that says, don't ask me these things, uh, I plead the fifth. Why are you holding up that sign? <laughs> I don't even know what a Zodiac Killer is, Dave. <laughs> Brian, no one's a Zodiac Killer. No oh. one said it. Oh, that's weird. I thought I could have swore you said it. Wait, Brian doesn't even have his own face on right now. This is bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Elijah killed all these people to find the the 
one. The one. The, the sole yeah. survivor. He even. I, I he, bet he was so thrilled that it was Philadelphia based in all this. <laughs> what are the odds? How convenient. Oh, right down the street. We got him. This is great. David looks around Elijah's office and is horrified by newspaper clippings of hundreds of disasters from around the world. He's the mastermind right. and behind blueprints all of and them. schematics oh, yeah. of He's destruction. Got it had a, it's all there. It's all out in the open. It's not even hidden. It's there. So I picked my mouth up off the floor and continued watching the movie. There's only like two minutes left. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I love when movies do this. It's like, bam, and let's end. Just like in the comics, every evil villain needs a worthy adversary, and Elijah has finally found his. David backs away yeah. in horror, and Elijah proclaims, they called me Mr. Glass. I had a nickname. How did you not put this together? Come on, man. It's Nobody obvious. calls him Professor Xavier, you idiot. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, Nobody. Charles. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> and then we get the, the classic uh, freeze frame with the, with the text on the screen. Oh, okay. The best way to end a movie. No, it's not. It's only worked <laughs> twice in the history of film, and it was Animal House and American Graffiti, and no other time. <laughs> it did not need to be here. Yeah, David reported Elijah to the authorities, and Elijah is now in a mental institution for the criminally insane. They, they got exactly. him on terrorism charges. Got him. <laughs> that is Unbreakable from 2000, directed by Mr. Night Shyamalan himself. It's extremely, extremely, so good. extremely good. Such a good movie. I can't state how good this movie is. It's one of my favorite movies we've watched on this show. I agree. By a long shot. And it three days ago, good. I had never seen it. So that's... Uh... Isn't that funny how it works? Because whenever we do an episode here, to at least let you see how the sausage is made, I will watch a movie, usually Sunday night, we'll record it on a Monday or something like that, or a Tuesday, and then it just kind of exists in the world. It's like I don't have an opinion about this thing until a day before we go into it. Yeah. And with this one, I've seen it before. I've never really cared too much all about it. And then watching it now and actually paying attention. This is an extremely good movie. It's so good. I couldn't believe how good it was. I'm like, how have I been sleeping on this movie? Brian, this is better than The Sixth Sense. Yes. In my mind. Yes, I think think this is better. I think this is a phenomenal movie through and through. Are you Micah ranking M. Night Shyamalan movies right now? Uh, He wanted us to. And he's obsessed with ranking. He loves it when we rank. Intervention. Stop ranking. <laughs> Intervention. No more <laughs> ranking requests from Micah. This is my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, I agree. By far. I, I think this is a, a really good movie. Totally agree. And I think this movie really knocks out of the park because it's probably the most true comic book movie that there is. Plain and simple. Yeah. The framing of every single shot is meant to mimic a comic book panel. You have these very oh. long static shots that are very deliberate. They take forever. The dialogue is very Stan Lee-like, where it's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. I heard this one I has a surprise sad. at the end. My face is showing. Exactly. <laughs> this movie captures what a comic book truly feels like, and it even has the three-act structure of a simple comic book that's just drawn out to yeah. be more cinematic. Yeah. Well, I guess originally he had written a, a more detailed plot for this and then decided he just liked the origin part so he cut it down to the first act and then turned that into the full movie but that's all you really need is when you tell a story if you want to just focus on the origin you could just focus on the origin just an origin yeah and m night Shyamalan of all people prove that of all people who knew mr night Shyamalan. it's ridiculous and i know a lot of people get on this movie because yes it's slow 
there's no denying that this movie takes its time. It is a slow burn, but it pays off. That's a great word for it is slow burn. Yeah. I feel like M. Night Shyamalan gets a lot of hate that he doesn't deserve. Yes, he's made a lot of stinkers. <laughs> Lady in the Water is a stinker. The Village is a stinker. Signs is okay. The Last Airbender. The Happening. I kind of like The Happening. I haven't seen The Happening. I still kind of like The Happening. The Last Airbender is a terrible, terrible movie, and the only reason I did not walk out on that movie is because I didn't even pay for it. I didn't pay for The Village, and I was like, at the end, I was like, I wish I had walked out. <laughs> Man, I wish I wasn't so lazy. <laughs> it's really what it is. A lot of people started looking for the twist with M. Night Shyamalan. The twist? It ruins his filmmaking because yeah he's a twisty director he just did the sixth sense which had one of the biggest movie twists of all time yeah and it cleaned up at the box office because of that yeah but that movie is also it, it is unique in its own way of it plays a lot of tricks on you as an audience the sixth sense oh big time and yeah the twist happened and that's the part that people remember that's really the whole movie that's true is the twist i feel like after he pulled that twist off I feel like Unbreakable is his, it's going to sound like a cheap way to, to call it, but Blank Check with Griffin and David is a terrific podcast. <laughs> this is his Blank Check. Yeah. And he proves it in the way that this movie is shot is so unique to film in general because he does some very cool camera angles. He does some very cool tricks when it comes to just moving the camera and associating that with like dialogue yeah. and motion and reactions. It's like Bruce Willis is barely even acting in this movie. And that to me is fascinating. Just being Bruce Willis. That's directing and it's also a choice. You have to understand that Bruce Willis did just do the sixth sense with Mr. Night Shyamalan. Right. And Bruce Willis had a bit of a dry spell between Die Hard and this. Because, yeah, the fifth element happened. We get it. It's great. <laughs> it's, but no one's remembering that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. He actually made acting choices here. Yeah. To make it dry, to make the story the thing that stands out over the character. Right. Which I think is important because we're not supposed to be sure about this character the whole time. It's a great choice. It's a great acting choice. Very well done. I think the thing that stands out to me most also is that I feel like this with M. Night Shyamalan is a one for you, one for me type situation. Okay. I gave you the sixth sense and it exploded. You got to give me this one. Now this and for me. I feel like this movie leans heavily into either the auteur theory or even the French new wave, the way this thing is shot. You just threw out some words that whew. I did. The auteur theory is based on the director is the owner, more or less. Like he creates, he does everything, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get too deep into that. The French new wave actually, I think, makes more sense. Because the French New Wave, the characteristics of it are the de-emphasized plot and dialogue. This yeah. movie is very simple. It's very A to B. The dialogue is there. It really doesn't put much towards the movie yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. Like, there's one line of dialogue in the whole speech that'll push this thing along. Right. Fine. You have your jump cuts rather than continuity editing. This movie doesn't bother focusing on continuity because it's more involved in the whole the whole story of Elijah and David. Yeah. So it will yeah. flash back. It will flash forward. It will flash sideways. It'll do whatever it has to do. You also get location shooting. This movie is Philadelphia. Oh, uh, I mean, 100%. It does a great job. I know we're talking about setting now, and that's totally fine. It's fine. I think the house is the only set, and I'm not even convinced it's a set. I was The whole time I was like, man, this feels like Philly so much. It, it has to when it is actually shot in Philly. It's amazing. You also get your handheld cameras. This movie has some 
The dolly shots, I think, are extremely impressive, though. That's what stands out to me. Mm. You get your long takes. This movie is full of very, very long takes. Extremely long tracking shots. Before we started recording this, the sausage being made again, Brian told me this is a long synopsis. And I said, how? Almost nothing happens in this movie. Yeah. But a lot happens in this movie. It's just there's not a lot of different shots. Right. It all happens. For the most part. It all happens in actual scenes. It's ridiculous the way it plays out. Yeah. Another thing that this movie does that follows the French New Wave is direct sound and available light. This movie is gross looking. (laughs) It feels like the cinematographer pretty much gave the lighting crew the day off every single day. Yeah, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. We got this. It's exactly it. I feel like this movie is just out of its time. Like, this is a movie that should have been done in the 70s. It shouldn't have been done in 2000. That's an interesting this thought. Is, yeah. For the lack of better term, M. Night Shyamalan's blank check auteur French New Wave film. That's wild. You're not wrong. You're that's He's having a lot of fun. Yeah. He's definitely experimenting with different angles with the camera. Oh man. And letting the camera get more playful to tell the story. Hey. There's a whole thing with Mr. Glass, how they made a choice cinematically to not show him growing up. They showed him reflecting always in reflection there's an entire five minute scene of when his mom's telling him that there's a gift across the street when he's a child that's reflected in a television screen which frames him like a comic book panel it is a ridiculous choice that pays off it's insane it's amazing this movie right here is film man the whole scene is filmed in a in a mirror it's uh, such amazing choices this is an unbelievable film hey dave hey dave a mirror Glass. The front of a TV? Glass. Oh! Ah, the glass! It's always ah, glass. <laughs> they call me Mr. LCD. <laughs> uh, how you won't see that me in off? that modern age technology if you're a flat. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, Isn't the same effect? This is uh, one of M. Night Shyamalan's favorites of his films. And it's also one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite films. Really? Yeah. So... It's a strange lack of violence for it to be a Tarantino That's favorite. true, especially for uh, an action superhero movie. Don't put action in it. There's one action There's scene. There's one action scene. That's okay. And it's and basically just beautiful a to guy me. holding on to somebody's back. It's <laughs> WWE, Monday Night Raw. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. it's uh, We're going to break some drywall. Right. Uh, it's Step Brothers, but without the comedy. Right. You're going to fix that drywall. I think I only laughed once in this movie, and it's when Samuel L. Jackson asks for the credit card when he re-meets Bruce Willis. And then a second later, he says, that was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> I love that moment. <laughs> I'm just going to need your credit card. That was a joke. I got a quick question for you, because I think it's obvious where we stand right now with this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Where do you think this is going to fall? Like an 80? Like a 70. Really? It's still fresh. It's a freshie. That is fresh. But, uh, I think barely. It feels low. Audience score. 80? Uh, 77. So you're closer. Okay. <laughs> the general consensus is, with a weaker ending Unbreakable is not as good as The Sixth Sense. However, it is a quietly suspenseful film that intrigues and engages, taking the audience through unpredictable twists and turns along the way. Yeah. I somewhat agree. Where do you disagree? I disagree because I'm so sick of people comparing things to other things. That's fair. Let it be its own thing. I don't think this movie has a lot of twists and turns. I think it just has the one, really. 
it has the one at the end, and I think it's very good storytelling. There might be the, whole the thing. second one where um, where they reveal how the accident went down. And that's fine. I think that's just a, a nice little touch on the story, though. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with a twist and a turn of, I mean, you could probably guess that once you realize this guy is almost invincible, that he gave up his football career for something. For Yeah, probably for the wife that doesn't. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Well, it's a nice little touch from her, too, because she even says, like, it seemed crazy that he's causing all this physical violence and I'm the one fixing it because I'm a therapist. Like, mm. that's actually a little bit of depth for a character who doesn't have much, which is something. That's true. Roger Ebert saw this movie. Of course he did. He gave it a three out of four stars. All right. Roger Ebert says, Unbreakable, the new film by M. Night Shyamalan, is in its own way as quietly intriguing as his sixth sense. Agreed. It doesn't involve special effects and stunts. Much of it is puzzling and introspective, Mm -hmm. and most of the action takes place during conversations. Yeah. If the earlier films seemed mysteriously low-key until an ending that came like an electric jolt, this one is more fascinating along the way, although the ending is not quite satisfactory. I disagree. I mean, I agree with the first point where it's more exciting along the way, but I think the ending is just as good. I agree. He also says, in both films, Shyamalan trusts the audience to pay attention and makes use of Bruce Willis's everyman quality, so we get drawn into the character instead of being distracted by the surface. Yeah. I think it's more the mystery of the character and not the character himself. I completely agree with you there. You're never quite sure about it. Completely agree. I am going to go with a bit of an Ebert sandwich here because he ends it by saying, and this actually blew my mind because I didn't put this together. In Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock made us think the story was about the Janet Lee character and then killed her off a third of the way into the film. <laughs> no one gets killed early in Unbreakable, but Shyamalan is skilled at misdirection. He involves us in the private life of the comic book dealer, in the job and marriage problems of the security guard, in stories of wives and mothers. The true subject of the film is well-guarded, although always in plain view. And until the end, we don't know what to hope for or fear. And in that way, it's like the sixth sense. Wow. Yeah. It is a well-orchestrated twist. That's me talking. That's not the Ebs. Right. That's That's all it is. Yeah, it's a well-thought-out path to get to where M. Night Shyamalan wants you to end up. That being said, stop comparing movies. Stop it. (laughs) Knock it off. As gross as he is, Woody Allen be furious if people compared his movies. Because, yeah, he's got the early funny stuff as he jokes around with, and then he has the newer serious stuff, yada, yada. Filmmakers can do different things, believe it or not. It's true. There's all sorts of M. Night Shyamalan's no different just because he does a twist at the end of some movies yada 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 most stop trying to guess the twist <laughs> that's as simple as that he does it most yes that's the thing he figured out what he's good at but he also figured out what is going to get him paid right I went into this expecting a twist and then halfway through the movie I forgot that there was going to be a twist coming up that to me is a magic trick that's yeah. filmmaking that's how in it's a nutshell. done isn't that amazing it's great it's great let me tell you about some people who aren't amazing Brian oh tell me They're the monsters on Amazon.com. They all wear bright colors. They do. They want to stand (laughs) out. And that's why they're here. This movie has a 4.6 out of 5. Oh, good. 5,300 reviews. 75% of them are five star, which is weirdly low. 2% are one star. Yeah. Most of these folks pretty much say it's not as good as the Sixth Sense. Of course. They got their bad streaming. They got their broken discs. (laughs) We don't have as many maniacs this time as we normally do. It's a sign of the times, you know, the 2000s. It sort of is. A lot of these are new reviews, but... Oh, well, in that yeah, case... Yeah, you're not wrong. No, you're not wrong, though. It's it's 
uh, Amazon.com's weird. People with are reviews. definitely more maniacal now. They are. It's a fact. So the one stars that I have are not so much the usual insane people who are just bashing their knuckles against the keyboard and hoping words come out. <laughs> okay, good. It's people who I don't think got this movie. Okay. From January 8th, 2019. Slow, boring, nonsensical, and a villain reveal at the end when you didn't even know there was a villain. <laughs> that was... <laughs> That not only feels shoehorned in for the sake of a twist, but makes absolutely zero sense when shown against the motivation. Just poor. Uh, This person doesn't understand what a twist is. They don't understand how comic book anything works. It also sounds like... Of course there's a villain. They weren't paying attention is what it sounds like to me. Exactly. We're like, I put the the movie on and I was on my phone the whole time. And then like the twist happened. I was like, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Samuel Jackson is a motherfucker once. How am I supposed to pay attention? What movie is this? What the hell? <laughs> PG-13. Can you imagine if Samuel L. Jackson was like a Shazam-like character? And whenever he said motherfucker, <laughs> transformed. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, it'd be purple. That's <laughs> got to be it. I'd imagine like that's what happened when he became Jules in Pulp Fiction. He starts quoting biblical things and shooting Marvin in the face or whatever. Yep. He didn't do it. I think he was driving in that scene. Not important. Not Tarantino. Important. There we go. Full circle. We did it. Yay. From December 31st, 2019. Happy New Year. In the beginning, there's a newborn baby who's crying while flailing their arms and legs, which are fully extended. Right when the actor picks up the baby, he says, his arms and legs are broken. How TF was the baby fully extending those limbs if they're broken? <laughs> what? I don't know. Sometimes. Alcohol. Because New Year's Eve played a, a role in this guy's thinking. And, uh, Sometimes you watch a movie alcohol. and you can't get past the first scene. And you go to Amazon.com to leave your one-star review based yep. on the things <laughs> that happened before the opening credits. It took me right out. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> what? That baby's got a fully extended arms. They can't be broken. Well, here's the thing about baby actors. They're not very good. They got a bad one. Bad baby actor. Yeah, can we get a baby that's more limp? I thought we were going to get the Ally McBeal baby in here. This is ridiculous. Ooga, chaka, ooga, ooga. <laughs> <laughs> From January 22nd, 2019. Ended too quickly. I was expecting more. Right when it got to the action, the movie ended. <laughs> Did it say it got to the end too quickly? Yep. Mm, it took its time. Right when it there. got to the action. It's, it's one of those things of I think they just wanted more action. That's what it sounds like. No, I don't I don't care about story. Just give me people beating each other up. <laughs> uh, it's kind of silly. That seems like the one of the main things wrong with this not even the movie, the audience. Speaking of things wrong with the audience, from January 18th, 2019, the camera angles were weird and distracting. Bruce's character, he knows him personally, <laughs> Bruce. Bruce's character is boring and unimpressive. It's so slow. <laughs> I remember watching this movie when it first came out. I was about 13. I thought it was just okay back then. But after watching Marvel movies, this truly sucks. Oh my God. Come on. Come on. All right. I'm the first person to defend the Marvel movies. <laughs> but come I'm on. Watching this Brian, movie, his hand is over his heart right now. This as movie's he's saying. so good. How can you. <laughs> don't compare it to a Marvel movie. That's silly. It's very different This movie thing. gets compared to a lot of things, and that's the problem. Oh, my God. 
It's also yeah. a well-known fact that much like the Dave Matthews band, uh, true Bruce Willis fans just call him Bruce. Uh, we all know that. Why didn't you say like true Bruce Springsteen fans? Because the name's built in already. That's confusing. Too many Bruce. That's fair. <laughs> Real Bruce heavy thing. Yeah. We're not Australian. We don't just name everyone Bruce. Also, that's a very Jersey thing. And the Dave thing is universal. <laughs> I guess so. I'm Jersey, so it <laughs> works out pretty well, actually. From May 9th, 2019, title, The Cost Should Replaces. Yep. Nailed it. Review. I should not be cost the had to see the movie because I already own this movie. If you already own it, then why did you buy it on Amazon? <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. I was too lazy to put the DVD in the DVD player, so I just opened up the Amazon streaming app, and uh, I shouldn't be charged for this. But also, all of that with, with less English. Well, I sent a picture to Bezos, and I said, I own this. Don't charge me. Yeah. I'm just too lazy. I sent him a Snapchat. The cost should be replaces, Bezos. <laughs> the cost is should be replaces. I should not be cost, Bezos. <laughs> Wild. From March 20th, 2002. It made my number 19 on my list of worst films ever. My number 19. I got a lot of questions. My worst films ever. Is that <laughs> high ranking or low ranking? How does the- I don't know. If this is Sean, he's only seen 20 movies. Who knows where this falls? Right. If it's number 19 on your worst movies, if you only seen 20 movies, it's your second best movie. Well, no, it'd still be it'd be second worst movie. Unless there's still something below it. Unless you rank your number one worst as the worst and your number 20 worst as the least worst. Uh, we're not golf ruling this. It's not golf rules. It's just a different ranking system. <laughs> okay. Whatever way you want to word it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this person hated this movie almost as much as 18 other movies. He's got a list of bad movies that he keeps. That's insane. Bad movies are not trading cards that you keep in a book. You don't keep a list of this stuff. Yeah, I, I would assume if like he had said, like, top five worst movies I've ever seen, I'd be like, all right. He's like just saying things. But you say 19, and you definitely have a list. You have. That's too specific. It's way too That's kind of like, <laughs> if you're watching, like, what is it, High Fidelity Top 5? Is that what's going on in there? Right? Yeah. And that's just nonsensical top five. It's great. No one's going like, give me a top uh, eight or nine. <laughs> Something like that. That's what this one feels like. Top seven and also an honorable mention. People are weird. People should not be allowed to write reviews on Amazon. You're right. From March 29th, 2003, I rented this movie because M. Night Shyamalan made it. After watching it, I'm glad I didn't buy it. It's a bit too stupid for me. It's a comic book movie, but it doesn't look like one. Bruce Willis does not look like a superhero, and this doesn't seem like a movie about a superhero. The movie is geared towards adults, but is dumb enough for little kids. I doubt this would even make it as a comic book. If you're a comic book fan, go watch Spider-Man or Daredevil. If you're a M. Night fan, go watch Sixth Sense or Signs. Uh, There's so much wrong with that. So, there weren't any tights, so I didn't like it. It was doing a thing. You show me where the cape was. Show me where the cape was. Go ahead. They actually did, like, a really cool thing with, like, the raincoat and how they made it look like... He kind of looked like a a specter. He did. With a a baseball cap on. Yeah, but, like, the baseball cap... That's really just a nod to the Incredible Hulk or anything Captain America (laughs) at this point. Yeah, anybody on Team Cap. 
they wear a lot of caps, a lot of hats. Very I feel hat like movie. the hat underneath the hood was just to give it the shape of like that that cloak. It's very cool. It's, it's a very cool way they did it. It's so subtle and also not. It's practical. That's that's really all it is. That's the, the right word that I should have used. <laughs> it is, but they say it's a comic movie that doesn't, that doesn't look like one. There's never really been a comic book movie that's looked like this. Right. Because this nails it. They went out of their way to frame every single shot to look like a comic book panel. Yeah. And not like in a Zack Snyder Watchmen kind of way where they just literally took the comic book panels and recreated them. Right. Or like a Zack Snyder 300 way where they slow down all the footage so that the still frame comes to life in a way. Right. No, they did it. They did it the right way. Completely agree. Completely agree. I could have done with like 300. Everyone's saying release the Shyamalan cut of 300. (laughs) (laughs) I could have done without all the, uh, the 360s the camera did. I haven't fun with the camera just to do it. I think it only did it it twice, but still it was like, it did it once with the comic book and it was weird. And then it did did it once with derp face watching the news. Yeah. And it didn't need to happen. It was unnecessary. I I bet it's like symbolic somehow. I don't know how though. Probably. Oh, because this world got turned upside down. Because West Philadelphia. Born and raised. There it is. And a comic store most of his (laughs) days. The last one I have is a bit wordy. Okay. It is from June 24th, 2006. And they say, The Unbreakable is a film which attempts to rationalize the mythology of a comic book superhero into our everyday life, which is essentially a 20th century North American artistic phenomenon becoming everyday real life. Mm -hmm. So that's how you say nothing and something all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right there. It's like a thing where they're doing the thing, you know? Right. They say, for this alone, I felt the film did not work for myself. Director MNS, which just sounds like a bad chocolate candy. Sometimes in his late 20s. You got (laughs) to abbreviate the name because you don't know how to spell Shyamalan, which I always remember is like, uh, you, you watch a movie, you get surprised, you go, whoa, whoa, Black Betty, Shyamalan. Because <laughs> the twist, it makes it go, whoa. Oh, of course. Shyamalan. That was a good, oh boy. That's that, actually how that I landed. remember how to spell his name. That's amazing. That's real. You know what? There you go. <laughs> M. Shyamalan's going to call you tomorrow and say, thank you. They go on to say, mythological figures are an expression of the inexpressible. And for this reason alone, cannot exist in real life. They can't be but only within a mythological tale. This is exactly why superheroes have developed supernatural abilities, because this realm cannot exist within the human realm. This is also the premise for the origin of the comic book, to remove the superhero from a non-fictionalized human environment into a fictionalized mythology. In this film, director MNS misinterprets the comic book realm for everyday human life and subsequently bases his entire film on this creation of a superhero. There's a lot of, of dashes thrown in for whatever sure, reason. Sure, sure. I don't know. This is why the film is slash was destined to fail. If you really wish to see a superhero film portrayed in everyday life, then watch Superman 2 or Batman Returns or even Daredevil. At least while watching these quote-unquote realistic films, we know they are already based upon a fiction. M&S removes the fiction, and it fails miserably. I... Uh, what? So, uh, what? There, there's a lot to unpack there. There's I know a, that. A ton. Let's start backwards and work forwards because no shit Superman 2, Batman Returns, and Daredevil are fiction, and that's why they work in film. 
Weird enough, none of this stuff happened. There's not a David Dunn or Elijah, whatever, is Glassman. It took out Bobby. I had a baby. It's a brittle boy. It's fictionalized. (laughs) It's a brittle boy. (laughs) This is not a documentary by any means here, you fucking maniac. No, they took out the fiction, Dave. It's a documentary now. It is. But the thing about that she says also is I am a big believer in comic books and, well, not even to say comic books because there's a lot of comic books that operate in very different styles, like an Ed Brubaker, the last shot type thing, where it's a story. There's not any superheroes involved. Yeah. That's its own genre of things. Mouse. Show me the cape and mouse. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, does have Nazis, like Captain America. Uh, of course. But superheroes, they are modern mythology. Exactly. They are our new kind of Davy Crockett's and Achilles. And any one of those stories by Homer or anything like <laughs> it's that. A brand new Iliad, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you have all these folks that obviously don't exist and they have different ideals and they stand for something. Yada, yada, yada. What does that yada. make it, though, when it's not real? Is that fiction? I think it's called fiction. Okay, okay. Hold on. What does that make it when somebody just decides to say whatever they want? I do it all the time. What am I? <laughs> and you're just wrong. What am I? I'm a dumbass. That's what this person is too. So <laughs> I just don't you have it. What's wrong with telling a more realistic superhero story? I don't. Oh, it wasn't. There's fake nothing wrong with it all. for me. If you want to really take a deeper dive into this thing, is what are some of the more realistic superhero movies? Well, let's... I would put Winter Soldier way up there. Yeah, that is. It's one of the more realistic ones, and it's one that's generally well received, and it's got a twist. Absolutely, or three hundred. Uh, Zack Snyder three hundred amount of twists. That's right. <laughs> Also, anything we rate really low, like uh, Defendor or Super or Kick-Ass, <laughs> those are all reality-based superhero stories. Correct. They don't do well. But this does. This does extremely well. Let's find out how well this movie does do. Let's give this thing a super stuff. Let's do that. But first, I have an actual IMDb trivia fact. Oh, my favorite. This one starts off reasonable, and then it gets twisty. <laughs> Of course it does. This IMDb trivia fact is, of course, submitted by Mr. Night Shyamalan himself. Of course. Elijah Price's distinctive hairstyle was based on the Civil War era activist Frederick Douglass. So far, so good. That's interesting. But then, Frederick Douglass's name coincidentally contains the word glass. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Oh, man. That, that is, is terrible. Actual. That is IMDb. the absolute worst thing I've ever heard in my Trivia life. <laughs> well, That's a lot time. like saying, my name is Dave Michaels. My last name contains the, the word Michael. Therefore, <laughs> me and John Travolta from the 1996 film Michael have something in common. Nailed it. Nailed it. It's almost <laughs> like somebody found an interesting fact and they're like, hold on, I'm going to put my own spin on it. Oh, God. It wasn't good That's enough. That's so I can, stupid. I could outdo this actual fact, IMDb. Hold on. Yeah, hold my beer. <laughs> hold my troll club or whatever trolls have. Or it was somebody who was like, wait a minute, Frederick Douglass? Oh, oh man. <laughs> they really thought they were onto something. This has been an actual IMDb trivia fact. Let's give this thing a super stuff score. Story and motivation. I'm going to start with one. I think I think one is is absolutely where it belongs. The story is very A to B, discount the twist. 
because the twist is very good at the end of this thing, it's but it's still so A to B. It's still you have a guy who exactly. somehow survived some sort of unsurvivable wreck and a guy who is trying to find a sole survivor in order to find his opposite. I think it is amazing. Yeah. And I don't think the twist changes the story. I think the twist just hammers it home. Definitely a one. Hero. Uh, the hero is Bruce Willis. It is. It's Bruce Willis. And he's he's unassuming to the T. Yeah, but he does save a f- one single family. He saves, uh, well, he saves half of a family. He saves half the family. The <laughs> mom and the dad are dedicants, but he saves the children. He saves the kids. That's good. That's real good. Uh, I like how when he's in this Grand Central place, he is bumping into people. And the whole future versus past thing, yeah. it gets confusing because he is seeing some crimes that people are committing and he's kind of gauging which ones he's going to go after. Right. I found that really, really interesting. That actually made me think of Superman, how Superman floats above the earth and he's thinking, and he like hears all and these he listens, cries yeah. for help and he has to pick which ones to go for. Yeah. I really, really like that moment. It's really cool. I, I like Bruce Willis in this movie. I think he's very plain and unassuming. And I think it only contributes to the movie because I feel like he's not a distraction. No, far from it. Even the story takes hold where he's doing extra human things. You're still like, uh, you're still not sure. You're like, uh, maybe he's just stronger than he thought he was. Maybe that's it. It, I mean, the movie plays it really well, and I think it helps Bruce Willis. Yeah, Uh, I'm gonna go point seven five. Point seven five is exactly what I was thinking on, on account of the dead mom and dad. There's nothing he could do about yeah, the dad. Didn't, he didn't get them all. No, the dad was real dead. The mom, he was just late, really. He's, yeah. If he didn't get thrown <laughs> in the pool, he could have saved her. We don't know that, but good enough. <laughs> Villains. He's real bad. He's, he's real, real he's bad. so bad. And the fact that you don't find out until the end how bad he is, you're like, oh. Yeah, you can probably guess that he's real bad. Throughout the entire movie, you at least M. Night know Shyamalan that he's twist. not all. He's he's unhinged. He's unpredictable. Right, but this movie does play a magic trick on you. Of you're going to forget that there's a twist. Yeah, and he gets you forget that this is an M Night Shyamalan film. He gets evil and at the end. Works. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna go one. One. I agree. I think it's great. I think Mr. Glass is absolutely terrific. Yeah. Parents. We don't know anything. Not a thing. That's a easy zero. Not a thing. Easy zero. Female characters. I like the mom. I do. I, 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 I like don't think Audrey. She's great. I don't think she's bad. I think she's very middle of the road. She meets up with Elijah and uh, talks it out, therapist style, of someone actually cares about her problems for once, and she talks about she it. She also gets freaked out when he knows her husband's name. Yeah, she does. Which... And she even says at the end of the movie, like, if Elijah calls, let's call the police. And Bruce Willis is like, yeah, okay. yeah. I think that, I mean, it's a, I'm not going to say. It's and like then the he goes and ignores her. character. But <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, but I, I, I'm going to go point five for her. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with her at all. Yeah. I and would, there's nothing I would terrific about her. take more away that she's like the only one in the movie, but she's not yeah. because you have Elijah's mother who doesn't really do anything either, but there's only six, five. There's really only four people in this movie. So she's a quarter of the yep. movie. Completely agree. Setting. It's Philly, man. It's so Philly. It is insanely Philly. Someone actually came in while I was watching this movie and threw up on me. And I went, <laughs> Philly, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for putting me in the right mindset. I, was, I couldn't believe it. Like, if you didn't tell me it was Philly, I would have still known it was Philly, just based on the shape of the street signs. I mean, all the buildings in the background of a lot of these shots are Philly. Yeah. This is a Philly movie. Big time. I think that's a one. One. 
Easy one. M. Night Shyamalan should get a one for Philly whenever he's mentioned. That's true. Style and tone. I'm going to start at one. Okay. I think I'm going to go to one five. Okay. I absolutely love the way this movie is shot. It's so different, but it fits so well with what it's trying to be. I completely agree. Obviously, a lot of these shots are very static. Mm-hmm. You get very minor camera movements for the most part. But and when they fucking does, move the camera, they move it. They really will. They are going to abuse it, really. <laughs> All those camera moves play into the story, though. Uh, I keep going back to the opening scene on the train with the little girl POV between the seats going back and forth between Kelly and David. And it's just, it, it is actually to a point it made me mad. And I was like, well, they just crashed the train already. <laughs> I get it. And, it. and it was funny because I feel like that was like a safety shot. Because you do have the camera situated between the train seats. Yeah. And you are going left to right to left to right to watch this conversation play out. And then the girl, like the turnaround shot of the girl looking is like an afterthought. Right. Right. That doesn't bother me all that much because of how much of an afterthought it is. The ones that really get me are when you have Bruce Willis and Robin Wright, whatever her last name is at this time. <laughs> out for drinks and the camera starts insanely far away and, yeah. and really slowly dollies in. But then you also have the shot with Michael Kelly, the Dr. Michael Kelly. Yeah. How you have the dying patient in the foreground. Oh. All the, the conversations happen in the background. That's just, and Mwah. it just lands. It is just so gorgeous. The way this movie shot. Yeah. When they zoom out of uh, Elijah price at the top of the stairs before he falls down them. It's beautiful. And you get that, you get that like beautiful. that vertigo moment. Where the you dolly out, but also zoom in exactly. with the camera, that yeah. type of thing. It's the oh, old. I love that moment. Oh, I you know what? I want to go one five for this one. I want to give it props where it's due. Okay, one five it is. Music, I hate it. No, really, I hate it. I thought the music was great. Yeah, I thought it was distracting. James Newton Howard. A lot of people really, really like the music in this movie. I dug it. I thought it was so good. Now, I thought it was distracting, and I think it's because there's so many chunks of no music that when it comes in, you notice it too much. And I feel like it was one of those things of this movie has a really nice flow without the music right now, and then when it comes in, you go, oh, right. <sighs> music, yes. I didn't find it that jarring, but I, I did notice it more often than I noticed music movies, if I'm being honest. I think it's because the silence of the music, the, the lack of music yeah. for the most part. The sound of silence by... Simon and Garfunkel. They're the best. But this is the first time we've seen James Newton Howard. He also did Batman Begins and The Green Lantern. And we will see him again for The Green Hornet. We sure will. And also Space uh, Jam if we ever do that. Because he did Space Jam. How weird is that? <laughs> this dude has done so many movies, it's insane. It's wild. It really is. I- I'm kind of leaning like 0.25. I would rather bump it up to a 0.5. I'm okay with that. Okay. I know like a lot of people really, really like the music in this movie. I think it's it's pretty excellent. Yeah. I thought it was distracting. At that point, that's just taste. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. It's rare that I notice the music on a first watch of a movie. So the fact that I noticed that means it probably did have some sort of disruption effect to it. But I thought it there was you good. Go. That's something. Yeah. One-liners. Nothing. I can't. Uh, nothing. Critic- nothing no, at all. Nothing. It's nothing. It's very monologue heavy movie. Yeah. Impact on the genre. Oh, boy. Um, It came before a lot of uh, the superhero movies. That's true. But this isn't really a superhero movie when you think about it. Yeah, not so much. I mean, 
how many did it come before though? It came after the Batman. It movies, came before I can came name twenty movies right after X Men. But it came before <laughs> it a ton of stuff. Yeah, um, but I don't think it plays in any of that stuff. No, no, I don't. I don't because it's trying to do something entirely different, and I'm okay with that. Because they took the fiction out of it. This would be one of those movies that if you did it now, it would land really well. I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably why I liked it so much because it's so different from everything else we've talked about. I think it has a minimal impact. It had a, a freshness to it, but I agree that the impact itself is not a whole lot. I do think I'm going to go point two five because you did mention Defendor and you mentioned Kick-Ass earlier. I yep. think it had to it's have super with Rain played Wilson. some role. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about it already. Uh, it also, it, it did okay in the box office. I, I saw a lot of stuff where they were like, it's poor performance in the box office. And then you look and it's like $75 million budget, which is a lot for what this movie is. But it, it made, is. It made 250 worldwide. It did, but for what it's worth, the sixth sense. Yeah, that's true. You put it a up. $40 million budget and worldwide it made $672 million. Okay, so comparison wise, yeah, it wasn't the sixth sense. But like, he would eventually make movies like Lady in the Water. You're not wrong. So. One of those crazy is I'm looking at box office mojo on this one. It yeah. is a Walt Disney Studios motion picture, The Sixth Sense. In release, it was released for 514 days, 73 weeks. Wow. You have to imagine if you saw it at the end of the run, you already knew the twist. You have to. You absolutely have to. That is going to give Unbreakable a total super stuff score of six and a half. I love it. I think it lands right where it needs to. Yeah, I actually expected it to be a little bit higher based on some of the scores okay. we gave early on, but that's uh, it feels appropriate, six and a half. I'm okay with that. This is an extremely, extremely good movie. It is a slow burn. Deal with it. It is, it, but it, sometimes it's worth good it. stories have it slow burns. It builds to something that's just one of my favorite moments that we've had on this show so far. Isn't that nice when you get surprised? Yeah. Still, isn't that nice? Isn't it nice? You could you know going in and you're still like, what? I seriously, I didn't close my mouth for like five straight minutes. I love this movie. I really, 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 really love this movie. It's so good. It blows my mind. There's so many wink dings to comic books in general in this thing. Yeah. Of how, like, even when uh, Joseph is watching the TV and you get the Fantastic Four logo as the television station logo. Right. And uh, active like stupid comics. things like that. Active Comics is just blatant rip off of the action comics logo it's amazing right yeah i think the thing that even dives deeper than that is when joseph pulls the gun on bruce willis and it's just a direct scene that's related to like george reeves the og superman his life about how a kid pulled a gun on him when he was dressed in the superman costume <laughs> that has to be he's bulletproof terrifying it's in the movie hollywood land with ben badfleck i haven't seen that because of ben badfleck yeah, it's that's not it's why I haven't a movie. seen it. I've seen it once. I don't remember a second of it besides that. Yeah. That is a scene lifted directly off of that. And I think that just works. That shows how much care went to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is a good one. It's a, this is a good one. I still can't believe that like a kid actually was like, I'm going to shoot you because you're bulletproof. And the way he talked him down was to say, hey, if you do that, I am bulletproof, but it's going to ricochet off of me and hurt somebody else. And then eventually when he realizes he's completely screwed, you're going to be in big trouble if you pull the trigger, bud. <laughs> it's just such a brilliant de-escalation. It's great. Brian. Yeah. The moment of truth. I'm dangerous. Yeah. Um, 
let's talk about the rest of June, huh? Yeah, uh, we noticed looking at our schedule that it's been quite a while since we've done a Roger Ebert uh, pick. So we're going to do four in a row. <laughs> it's his birthday month. <laughs> so we're like, hey, why don't we do four Roger Ebert picks in a row? That seems like a smart right. thing to do. It does. We pick on his death so much. Yeah. Let's celebrate his birth. I'm getting out the Ouija board and we're going to we're going to contact the spirit of Roger Ebert. Let's see what he has to... Oh, how are you going to screw us, Raj? How are you going to do it? How's he going to do it? For the first of four <laughs> times he gets the opportunity to screw us, how is he going to do it first? In a row. This is exciting, but it's also terrifying. Roger Ebert has screwed us in the past with such movies as My Super Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> oh, boy. Who could forget? Chronicle. Oh, boy. He did get us with The Mask 2, which didn't suck. That didn't suck at all. That's true. That was a good pick. He also got point. us with Buckaroo Bonsai, which didn't suck. I so actually it, am. It really is... It's a crapshoot. It's so 50-50. It's a wild card, for sure. You have no idea what Roger Ebert's going to do. Roger, hit me, bud. So it looks like next week, for the first of four Eberts, we will be talking about the 2006 movie, Special. Okay. (laughs) What? Starring Michael Rappaport. Oh, God, whenever I think of superhero movies, that's that's the first name that comes up in my mind. I just typed in the word special into IMDb. Oh, it came up second. That's good. Okay. All right. That's something. (laughs) A lonely comic book fan, Les Franken, has a reaction to medication and becomes convinced he's a superhero. Oh, God, I can't wait to go down the Defendor route again. Yep. Here we are again, uh, trapped in realism for another week. Thank you, (laughs) Roger Ebert. You got Josh Peck and a whole bunch of other people. That's I've never heard of. This is going to be great. Yep. It'll be interesting for sure. <laughs> Paul Blackthorne? He's a person, I'm sure. He's known for things. Yeah. It's going to be great. He's uh, <laughs> he's the, the cop in Arrow. Special. De- Detective Next Lance. Week. Yeah. There we go. Special. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. It really helps whenever you do rate, review, subscribe. It gets us in front of some new ears, and we always appreciate them. I mean, you guys are listening. Yeah, we got to trick that algorithm into getting more more listeners. Exactly. We love you guys. Help us out. That's all we're asking on this one. You can also follow us on Patreon, where we're doing exclusive not-so-super movies and Batman animation and The Pull List, which are our shows about Batman the Animated Series and comic books. And we're putting stuff out over there regularly. It's almost every single week there's something new on Patreon. It's insane. I'm exhausted from recording already, <laughs> but it's so good. We can't keep this up. Batman animation is so simple because it's just an episode, but we we drop in a little commercial break in there, and it leads us down just a road of nostalgia oh, every single time. I feel like Batman animation is more about nostalgia than it is Batman. It's so much fun to do. I absolutely love doing those episodes. Yeah. If you have any questions or comments, you can email them to us and you can follow us and like us on the assorted social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can get links for all of those on our website, capepodcasters.com. That's the twist. What? We, we did it. We did it. We have a website. We websited? Capepodcasters.com. Uh, we couldn't get Google, huh? Couldn't get to Google.com? No, Google.com was taken, so we had to settle. Shit. MySpace.com? That's popular still, right? Oh, I mean, we could set up a MySpace profile and link it on our katepodcasters.com. I love it. <laughs> Guys, go check out the new website. I'm seeing it for the first time right now. It kicks every ass that has ever existed in the world. I told you I had a twist. Podcasters. 
Marvelpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to keep listening. End of every episode. You got the post credits. We're not original. Marvel did it. We're doing it. It's great. Yep. Except we take out the fiction. This is actually a nonfiction podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> Technically. If you went to your local library, go into that Dewey Decimal system under nonfiction, you're going to find Cape Podcasters. They, uh, they call that a computer now. Huh? I think they put all the Deweys into a computer. <sighs> I don't want any of that shit, Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see you next week for special. Special. Same pod time. Same pod twist. So, Brian, that is Unbreakable. What do you think happens post-credits? I think we flash back to just after the train accident and Philadelphia ABC 6 or NBC 10 is on the scene and they're they're interviewing people who witnessed what happened. And this one guy comes out, black man, yellow t-shirt, black skull cap. And they're like, sir, did you see what happened? He said, oh, yeah, I saw. <laughs> and they ask. And, uh... He, he does his interview or whatever, but what's really interesting is that his interview gets remixed and put on YouTube and becomes a smash hit, and it goes, unbreakable. He's alive, damn it. Oh, it's a miracle. Dear. Unbreakable. <laughs> He's alive, damn it. Bruce Willis is strong as hell. That's fantastic. <laughs> Dave, what do you think happens? What I think happens is, after the twist, that this is also Mr. Glass's super villain origin story if you will samuel L. jackson sitting there in his wheelchair as bruce willis is back and he goes also just want to let you know it's not 2000 it's a twist we've been in modern day the whole time village style and want to know what else mother nature's trying to kill you the happening style by making you allergic to water motherfucker sign style sign style i couldn't believe it also you have been dead the whole time you died on the train this is all just a jacob's ladder fever dream you're you're dead, Bruce Willis. You're dead. The whole movie was from Haley Joel Osment's point of view. I couldn't believe it either. And it turns out Haley Joel Osment never existed. It was Spencer Tree Clark the whole time oh, with his dirt face. I feel bad for Haley Joel Osment. You're the only one. It's a twist. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>